Hey, thanks so much for joining us on the Summit Church Podcast. We want to connect you to a relationship with God and all that He has in store for you. We hope this inspires you, strengthens your faith, and gives you hope to live out your best days now. Enjoy the message. We're in a series, and that series, we called it Increasing the Quality of Your Vision. Increasing the quality of your vision. We started our first Sunday for the new year last week. Let me continue. Reading glasses, bifocals, laser surgery, uh, RK surgery, contact lens, magnifying glasses, telescopes, all have a purpose to increase the quality of your vision. Okay? Focus, by definition, is the adjustment of the eye so that a clear image is produced. Remember the, the blind guy, Jesus prayed for him. He says, now how do you see? He says, well, I see men like trees. Not, not real clear. Jesus prayed a second time. Even Jesus prayed more than once. He prayed a second time. He said, I see men clearly. And God wants us to have clarity of vision. Hebrews 12 is where we find the greatest principle you'll ever learn about life, about staying focused. If you're not where you want to be in life, it's probably because somewhere along the line, your focus was broken. Could have been a setback, a tragedy, a disappointment, could be sin, but something broke your focus. Helen Keller, who was born blind, was asked what could be worse than being born blind, and she said to have sight but no vision. You don't see anything. Can you see a better life? Can you see a better future than your parents had? Can you see a recovery from a setback? Can, can you see anything? Can you see yourself becoming something you're not yet? Life is a test, and you only get promoted when you pass the test. That's why focus is so important. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let's strip off, lay aside every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Let me pause and say this. I lived in uh, uh, Columbia, South Carolina when Cindy and I were married, and I had a boat I kept up at our lake. And it was a wet dock. It was covered, but your boat sat in the water. And I noticed one day when I was out on the lake giving it full power, big mercury motor, it wasn't going very fast. Some, something was wrong. The engine sounded right, but I wasn't getting, I was about 10 miles an hour slower than normal. And I took it to the mechanic at the marina and he checked the engine. It was perfect. And I thought, what's slowing me down? And he asked me, do you keep this in the water? I said, yeah. He said, I know what it is. It's algae. Well, I couldn't even see anything. So I took it over to the shore and I put my hand under the boat and it was slick, kind of like boiled okra. It was slick. And it was a little green film. Looked harmless. It was unnoticeable much. But that green film spread all over the, the bottom of the boat, the whole surface of the bottom of the boat was slowing me down 10 miles an hour. So I took a Brillo pad and I went under that boat and I cleaned that off and I got 10 miles an hour back. Something, something so simple, something so small, it wasn't like I'm dragging uh, something underwater, a log. 
It was something you could hardly even see, and it was so small and insignificant. There are a lot of small, insignificant things that are not necessarily a sin that are slowing you down holding you back. And it builds up gradually, not all at once. It's just slow. And you've got to have eyes to see what it is so you can clean it up or get rid of it. So we're not the only people trying to achieve something in life. There are people, Hebrews says, who went before us, who accomplished some pretty significant achievements in life and finished their race. I want to finish my race. Well, those people are called witnesses because they've been there and done that. They have successfully finished their race in life, and now they're telling us something we need to do. And verse 1, Hebrews 12, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before. Can you endure? The Bible talks a lot about enduring. He that endureth to the end shall be delivered. You have need of endurance that after you've done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. If you can't keep going when it hurts, when it's slow, you won't finish. You've got to have endurance. You build it little by little until you can, how much pain can you take? How much trouble can you take? Can you endure? Because there are hardships in life, in marriage, in business, in in health. There's always setbacks and things to overcome. And a lot of people, as soon as things go bad, just quit and assume, well, I guess that's just the way it is. Well, I guess that's the will of God. Well, no, it isn't the will of God. You've got to fight the good fight of faith, and you need endurance. King James says patience. The word is endurance. So life is a race from the womb to the tomb. Isn't that nice? And in the race of life, we've got an adversary who wants to distract us. He doesn't want you to win. Verse 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy set before him. Now he's seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. So where was God's joy? Where was Jesus' joy? In front of him, vision. See, there's no way you can walk in a straight line looking back. You got to get a goal and put it in front of you. You have to focus in order to stay on course. How many, how many of you remember when we went, sent men to the moon? Well, the trajectory had to be precise. One degree off course, they would never have hit the moon. Close doesn't count in space, just horseshoes. All right. They had to be focused and on target. And to get where you want to be in life, you got to be on target. You've got to avoid distractions that are around all of us. So it says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus didn't allow the applause of men or the cross or even shame to break his focus. He kept moving towards his objective. In verse 3 and 4, it says, Think of all the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people. When you do, you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. So like Jesus, we've got to go through some things to get where we want to be. You know, the last 
34 years of my life in this ministry, I've seen a lot of things in my life that could break my focus. Verse 24 of Hebrews 11 says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose instead to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead, vision, to his great reward. It was by faith Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. So that shows us Moses as a great focused visionary and what that focus helped him to accomplish. Let me give you a few of them. First, it helped him make difficult decisions. Verse 24, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Look at that dude's given up. Power, position, pleasure, riches. But he gave it up because he saw something better. Second, it helped him pay the price. Verse 25, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. So he chose to endure rather than enjoy. Third, it helped him live for the eternal, not the temporal. By the way, you're only going to get maybe 100 years, 80 years, something like that on this earth in this life, but you're going to live forever after this life. So think a lot about the eternal versus the temporal. You know, I want it good in the eternal, even if it has to be rough in the temporal. So you got to make the right choices now. Verse 26, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. So with focused vision, he didn't have to live for today. He could live for a better tomorrow. And fourth, his vision helped him overcome fear. It was by faith, verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. People who cannot make hard decisions lack focus. Focus is what you're looking at. And what you continually look at will determine where you move in life. If you're looking at your past, you're doomed to live in it. If you're constantly looking at your failures, you're going to never leave them. But if you will focus on your tomorrow, the future, what can be, you're going to walk towards what you focus on. And what you focus on will grow. Be sure you're focused on the right thing looking unto Jesus. So focusing on Jesus will help me disregard my past. I mean, come on, it happened, it's over, and by the grace of God, you're still breathing, you're still here. So why do you insist on allowing your past to tag along with you? Get rid of that corpse. You couldn't change it anyway. It'll weigh you down. And if you don't let it go, it could submerge you. When God told Abraham and his wife, leave your country, leave your family, he took Lot. And when Abraham took his nephew Lot, it caused him a lot of pain and constant danger until finally one day, Abraham said, Lot, you got to go. Some of you need to tell your Lots, you got to go. And as soon as Abraham let Lot go, 
God said, okay, Abraham, lift up your eyes. Look north, south, east, and west. All the land you can see, I'll give it to you. After he got rid of Lot. Lot was a distraction for 25 years. He could have saved himself a lot of trouble. Some of you could too. Get rid of that lot or those lots. Let go of your past. You can never go very far looking in the rear view mirror of life. Every day you look at your past, be aware you're looking at something you can't change. I don't want to hear about it anymore. Somebody done me wrong. We've all had somebody do us wrong. So what? Well, my husband left me for a skinnier woman. Okay. There are plenty of husbands that have left women and women that have left men, and some have gone on for a better marriage. It's not over. There's life after divorce for crying out loud. You can't change the past, so stop living in it. Start, look, start living for the future, what could be. God doesn't, didn't dislove you because of that. Your life's not over. If God can open blind eyes, he can close them too. Somebody will see you the way you ought to be seen. <laughs> God's got somebody for everybody. Yeah, he does. You know, you can't change the past, but you can learn from it. You can't change the failure, but you can learn from it. And you can change. You don't have to remain the same. And why change? Well, usually you change because things are not working out. You're not producing the things you want in life. So if you can change your focus, you can change your future. Most people resist change, psychologists say, for fear of getting something worse. Oh, this is a lousy guy, a lousy boyfriend, a lousy something, and he's abusive and inconsiderate, but I'm afraid to leave him because maybe I won't get anybody else. Oh, come on. I'll buy you a comfort dog. You can have somebody else. <laughs> At least he'll lick you and love you. See, the simple reason God has blessed us all of us at Summit family, is that at least we've tried to do what he told us to do. Ever since Cindy and I began this church, we've kept focusing on what a church could be. I don't think we're there yet. We never focused on what we didn't have. And believe me, we didn't have a lot. But I've kept focusing on, I want us to become a great church. I want us to have generational influence. Yeah. Uh, back in 1935, many of you won't even know who this is, a guy named Hubert Humphrey. He was a senator from, he became a senator in, I think it was Minnesota, and went on to become vice president. In 1935, he wrote a letter to his wife after visiting Washington, D.C. He wasn't anything. And his letter said, Becky, I can see how someday, if you and I make up our minds to work for bigger things, we can someday live here in Washington and maybe be in government or politics or service. Oh gosh, Becky, I hope my dream comes true, but I'm going to try anyhow. Hubert Humphrey, 1935. What's your dream? What's the possibility set in front of you? Is it always somebody else? What do you see? See, if you can't see it, I said, you can't have it. What do you see? Focus is the only thing that can get you to the place you want to be in life. Focus creates momentum, and momentum is the force of accomplishment. And when the enemy can break my focus, then he robs me of momentum. 
always getting you to look at somebody else, what they have, who they are, what they've done, always blaming somebody else instead of focusing on your objective and what you want to happen in your life. So focus never looks at what it's going through. It looks at what it's going to. That's why it'll pull you through. Everyone has problems. Everybody has setbacks. Everybody has bad days. But if you focus on the dream, on the goal, on the vision, it pulls you through the problems. Otherwise, your focus is broken and you become problem conscious. And sometimes, parents, you can kill the dream of your children. Don't do that. Well, we'll never be able to afford that. Well, we can't pay that tuition. Well, you're, get that out of your mind. That's never going to happen. You just did Satan's work killing a dream in a kid. Now, I don't know all their dreams would come true or all their dreams are God, but I want to encourage the dreams of my children. I want them to dream big. I'd rather dream big and fail than, dream, than have no dream at all and live small. I'd at least want to try. It's going to be better if you at least try, right? So I want my kids to go for it. My attitude would be, well, if I don't have enough money to pay to get you in that college and your GPA and your scores are good enough to get in that, then I believe as a believer, as a tither, as a, as a person that loves God, he will give me a way to get you through that school. God will provide, and that's part of who he is, the God who provides. He will, he will provide it. Uh, well, I don't know how we're going to pay for that wedding. Where does God fit into this? He is Jehovah Jireh. He can make somebody hear about a need for you and suddenly say, I can cover that. Or it can be a scholarship. Or it can be something you never thought of. God is not limited. If he can open the Red Sea, hold the sun still, back it up 10 degrees, feed you with, raisin, with raven. Holy cow, what, why don't you dream a little bigger? I'm not dependent on my mama to get me through college. I'm not dependent on my dad's career to pay for my future. God's involved. He'll use them, but he may have to use other people, but he will. If that's part of his purpose for your life, you will get it. That's what I can promise you. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable, the book of Romans says. God hadn't changed his mind. Man, my future was way bigger than my parents thought. Yeah. I don't, I mean, they never could see anything that married like and divorced like five times. Not much of a vision. I, even I thought in my lowest days of, of insignificance, I can do better than that. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. I, I, you, if you don't want anything better, you're, you're doomed. You know, last year, the University of South Carolina, I graduated there in 1968. It was an unranked football team. And reporters called them inconsistent. They were nothing. And they were scheduled to play uh, number five ranked University of Tennessee. And sports writers and journalists were all raving about Tennessee. And all that information in the media can be pretty intimidating. So the South Carolina team didn't allow the negative opinions of the media to break their focus. And the Carolina coach didn't get up and say, well, boys, you heard the report. We don't have a snowball's chance in Gehenna of winning. But let's go out and play the best we can. And if we win, we win. And if we lose, we lose. Have a good game, boys. Are you kidding me? They refused to believe that, knowing the odds were against them. But they realized that if they could get focused and get some momentum going, they could win. And they did win. 
And not only that, the next week they defeated top-ranked Clemson as well. And how about little bitty insignificant TCU in the national finals? TCU caps their, their uh, registrations, their, their student body at 12,000. They cap it. Since this team has captured headlines, now they've had over 50,000 applicants at the school. Unranked, unnoticed, disrespected. I didn't believe it. And they just chewed up some of these big teams. Harbaugh and Michigan didn't know what happened. I guarantee you Georgia is watching game film now, right now. And Coach is trying to get his hotshot boys that have a great team. Don't get too cocky. These boys will rip us apart. So that's tomorrow night. TCU. Who's underestimating you? What you can be, what you could do, where you could go, what you could achieve. Most people never see it. Many parents don't even see it in their children. But God sees it. But you have to see it as well. And remember, when it comes to destiny, God won't do it for you. He does it with you. We are co-laborers with God. The only thing he does for me I can't do is save me. I can't do that. But everything else, we labor together, which is why you've got to take some action. That's what caused the children of Israel problems. They didn't go in the promised land. God promised it to them. They didn't go. They focused on the giants and the walled cities. And they said, we be grasshoppers. And they turned away from the goal. And the giants broke their focus and caused them to live 40 years in the wilderness till everybody 20 years and old died. What are you doing tomorrow? Well, dying. <laughs> what do you think the new year is going to bring? More of us dying. Until they were all dead. And those 20 and above. The only two guys that got to go in were Joshua and Caleb. And God extended their life cycle. I don't know what health supplements they took or what injections they got, but God gave them something. And, they, and at 80 or 85, Joshua said, I, uh, and Caleb said, I'm as strong this day as I was when we got in the wrong church that said we couldn't get in. We couldn't be anything, couldn't have anything, couldn't do anything. And God kept them strong and alive. And he entered the fight and took the mountain that he saw and drove the giants out. Yeah. Interesting. Those things encourage me particularly if you come from a small background or you come from a poor background or you come from, from uh, parents who had it bad and want, want you to know how bad they had it and don't see anything uh, bigger for you. But everybody that achieved anything saw a better life, a bigger life, and more possibilities. Every crisis brings possibilities, folks. So the giants, what's breaking your focus? Yeah, see, to achieve anything in life, you've got to have some focus. Psalms 27, verse 4. David said one thing. He didn't say five. He didn't say 10. He didn't say 15 things. He said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek. So when you're seeking for something, you don't allow anything else to distract you or break your focus. If you're running through the house looking for something you forgot, have, all of us have done that. You ignore anything else that doesn't look like what you focus is on. If I'm looking for my phone, I'm not looking at the furniture. I'm not looking at the dog. I'm not looking at it. I'm looking for anything that looks like an iPhone. 
Nothing. If it doesn't look like an iPhone, I'm rejecting it. I'm running through. See, when you're focused, you're not easily distracted. If you're easily distracted, then your focus isn't fixed. So David's goal was to please God no matter what. So you'll never go after anything until you can identify what you want. What do you want? When you don't know what you want, you're going to have a tough time making it in life. Jesus asked a man at a pool of Bethesda, do you want to be well? What a question. 38 years laying in this hospital at the pool of Bethesda because their tradition says that if the stirring of the water came, the first end got healed. This guy's been there 38 years like trying to win the lottery. Yeah, I have a ticket. I'm going to pay off his church. All right. What do you want? Do you want to be well? What a question. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. I love this one. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and the disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road, and when Bartimaeus heard Jesus of Nazareth, he's coming by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up. Be quiet. The people yelled at him. Who do you think you are? We can't afford that. You can't do that. Somebody shouting at you. He only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. You got to learn to shout back when the enemy speaks to you. You shout, you are a liar. And when your lips are moving, you're still lying. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. He said to his staff, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw his coat and jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. As a blind beggar sitting on the road. Here goes Jesus again. What you want? You need a heavier coat? You know what? You see why people aren't clear? Is this guy going to be clear on what he wants? I want to see, he said. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Blind Bartimaeus knew what he wanted, and when he heard Jesus of Nazareth, he had heard all about him, was coming his way, he refused to identify with his blindness and poverty and people's opinion of his condition. And Jesus said, what do you want? Better sleeping bag? Want some cash? You want a comfort dog? He could have asked for any of those things. But he was completely focused. Lord, that I might see. And people will tell you, oh, shut up. Why can't you be satisfied? Maybe parents will tell you that. Your peer group will tell you that. Your political group will tell you that. Your, your race will tell you that. They tell all of them. I don't care where you come from. There are people loaded in there to distract you. Who do you think you are? Why don't you just be satisfied? Hey, I am a contented man, but I am not satisfied. I don't think I've lived enough life yet. I don't think I've accomplished what the potential would be. I don't think that's happened yet for this church at all. I, so am I, am I grateful? Oh, yeah. Am I satisfied? Heck no. No. You sit over there and slobber on yourself. I'm not. I look like somebody that uh, I need to retire. Oh, gag me when I fall dead, then I'll retire. Okay. 
silly talk. I, there's a lot of life left in you. Well, I'm just looking for my social security check. Well, glad you, glad you get it. But if you've retired, why don't you now try to develop some passive income, some additional income from other investments that you didn't have time for when you were working in your job? Think big. What could you invest in? What could you, what could you start? What could you be a part of that would add to your retirement income? Think bigger than that. See, because when you see something better, your focus is never going to be back on what you have. I want a better, a better marriage, better ministry, a better job, a better home, a better life. When you see something better, you want it. I remember visiting Australia 30 years ago and watching video news in a church for the first time ever. And I discovered that's a whole lot better than reading announcements. Because in most churches, and I came up in a Baptist church, in most churches, they'd get one of the deacons to come up or somebody and they'd read the announcements. And it was boring as blah, blah, blah. It was boring. It was awful. There was no life in it at all. And when I saw color and music and announcements or sometimes outside and, and fun, and, and it was always on time. Earl was not always on time when he read the announcements, but this one was always on time. And it was, it had the eye gate and it had the ear gate. And I knew instantly, gosh, that's better. And I guess, can the department give me like five CDs of different uh, weeks so I can take it back and show our guys back in our early days what we can do. And we'll have to get some equipment. All right. We'll have to start small. And, but we can get there. Here's a little idea of what they're doing. We can do this too. Now everybody does it, <laughs> but somebody had it. And when I saw something better, I wanted it. Don't you want a better lifestyle? Don't you want a better life? Well, you see it better. And usually you'll say the right people will. I want that. I want to make that change. I want to adapt that method. I want to uh, change that style, but it's amazing how people won't do it. See poverty of any kind can become a way of thinking. Listen to people talk and you can discover real quick what kind of a mindset they have. And I don't want a poor mindset, a way of thinking. See, my life is better today than it was in my past because like many of you, I changed my focus. And that focus on Christ and his word and what his promises were made me refuse to settle for less. And it made me refuse to settle for where I was. I could get better. I could change my present. And I went after it to do that. And you can do that too. So you got to fix your focus on what you want. The people shouted at Bartimaeus to shut up, but he shouted even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People always want to bring you down to the level they live on. And if you're above them, well, you don't need more. What a dumb way to think. I always wanted to treat people above me the way I would want to be treated if I were there. Not say, well, you got enough. No, no, no. Because what I make happen for others, God will make happen for me. Yes. See, I don't expect, I don't expect Elon Musk to live on my level. I wouldn't mind living on his. <laughs> Hello. <clears throat> we're not talking about character or morals or we're just talking about, yeah. How many of you'd like to win that billion dollar lottery? Well, it'd destroy some of you, but a few, I think, know how to spend it. I'll tell you what, in less than a week, I could distribute all of that 
and the majority of that would go right into the kingdom of God and into a few other charities as well. I wouldn't have any problem getting rid of that and doing it right. My family would be blessed, but I don't need a billion dollars. I don't need 200 million clear after taxes for self. Are you kidding me? There's plenty out there. God's got no shortage of any provision at all. You want to think with an abundance mindset. These hoarders are people that thought, I might not have enough. I might, we've got a plan for the future. The economy's unstable. The country's unstable. There you go. You might as well just throw the Bible out the window. You've already decided that everything's dependent on you instead of God. I think you can be fruitful to the day you die. Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Not a little bit. Not just enough. Mucho fruit. That's my Spanish. Mucho, come on. <laughs> Verse 50. Bartimaeus threw aside his old beggar's coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. And when Jesus told Bartimaeus to come to him, the first thing he did was to throw aside that weight, his beggar's coat. See, he was totally focused on Jesus, not his blindness or his poverty. He figured, I'm in the presence of Jesus Christ. My life is going to change. I'm going for it. And he threw back anything he was raised with, any thinking he was raised with. He stripped himself of everything that identified him with blindness. And he went to Jesus expectant. And you've heard me say it, the atmosphere of expectation is the breathing ground of miracles. Are you expectant in 2023? If not, nothing's going to happen. Same old, same old. And Jesus said, what do you want? So if God is El Shaddai, the God of more than enough, then there's always more than I'm seeing. Don't settle where you are. Scripture says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask or think. Ask bigger. Think bigger. God said, you're not limited by anything except what you ask and what you think. So God puts his word in us. So I said, well, scripture tells me I can be, I can do what I have. I'm going for it. So Solomon's key to becoming one of the wisest men in his day was his ability to identify what he wanted in life. The man had clear focus when he started. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, God said to Solomon, what do you want? Have you ever noticed how often God says that? What do you want? Ask, and it will be given to you. So what would you ask for? The billion-dollar lotto? But if you don't have the wisdom to spend it, it wouldn't do you any good. In fact, it could do you harm. Solomon replies in verse 9, Give me an understanding mind so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. So Solomon asked God for what he needed the most focus. See, he knew how to make money. He's a king. He had money. Anybody can get married. He had 700 wives. Lord help us. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I, can't, I can't handle one. What he needed most wasn't more stuff or more women. He needed wisdom and focus. And God, who was so impressed that he gave Solomon everything he did not ask for, Verse 13, and I will give you what you did not ask for, riches and honor. No other king in the world will be compared to you, Solomon, for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my word as your father David did, I will throw in long life. Sound good? 
Sounds good to me. That's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and having all these things added to you. Don't seek stuff. You know, seek the one who is the giver of everything and get his wisdom to know how to handle them. God says, with all you're getting, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing from the book of Proverbs. Wisdom. Solomon was focused when he began and he was blessed by God. But in his old age, his focus was broken by 700 wives who turned his heart away from God. It says in verse 3 and 4 of 1 Kings 11, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a 1,000 women, boys. And sure enough, they led his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship their gods instead of trusting only in the Lord his God. Broken focus. You know, David got in trouble when he got complacent didn't go out to war with the guys, had the midlife crisis, Bathsheba's bathing down there, and he gets distracted from his mission and focuses on Bathsheba, and all heck came down, right? Well, sure. You can have your focus broken in retirement, uh, and you get bored, and then you can get in trouble. You want to stay focused till the day you die. Keep pursuing your destiny and dream. I got a lot of friends from all over the world, and I've learned a lot from them, different races, different nations, different backgrounds. They all teach me something. But the issue is I've got to identify with those going where I'm going as my closest friends, people going the same direction that I am to reach my goal. See, what kind of people do you focus on? What are you identified with and what I am identified with to determine my focus. So choose your friends carefully and find successful people who love God and see what kind of things they are identified with. You can learn from others. You can get wisdom from others. You can copy someone else's style or, or method or technology. Sure you can. And, and it's a good thing. Paul says those things, Timothy, you've seen in me and heard, do. And teach those to committed people too. See, who you identify with is important to your focus. To remain focused, you've got to identify the enemies to your focus. All right, my insurance agent is always begging for a retirement date. They just cannot, in their protocols, they just can't accept the fact you don't have retirement in there. You're not going for 65. Way past that. They can't handle that. But there's no, there's no retirement in Scripture. Don't mean to hurt your feelings. There is none. It's called death. There's none there. Oh, you might slow down a little bit. You might delegate more to somebody else, but quit? No. But I say again, if the company retires you or you're an airline pilot and we have a few and you're forced into retirement at 65, well, you've got your paycheck coming in. You've got your retirement, but you're still uh, healthy at 65, full of life. There's a great future. You can invest in other things now. You can keep that thing going. Stay busy building, creating. God never intended you to sit on the porch and chew on a straw and slobber on yourself and watch the cows come in. That, you got that off TV. You didn't get that from God. Satan will always try to get you to break your focus from the assignment God has for you in life. Take me out of the race. <clears throat> and that's why you need to know what God's told you to do and refuse to be moved away from it. Go for your dream. 
I don't care what your parents said. I don't care what their finance condition is. I don't care what their race is. If, if God's put it in your heart, you go for it. You go for it. I'd rather go big and, and not make it than to not go at all or to just live small. I couldn't live with myself if I did that. When you lose focus, you lose your dream and purpose in life. Now you're through. When your marriage loses its focus and purpose, you're going to lose the marriage. When you lose your focus and purpose in your job or ministry, you're going to lose that job or ministry. When Alexander the Great had vision and focus, he conquered the known world. When he lost focus, he couldn't conquer a liquor bottle. When David had vision and had focus, he conquered Goliath. When he allowed that focus to be broken, he couldn't conquer his lust with Bathsheba. When Samson had vision and focus, he won every battle. When he lost focus, he couldn't conquer 90 pounds of pantyhose with Delilah. I don't know how much she weighed. I just made that up. When Peter had vision and focus, he could preach on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 got saved. But when his focus was broken, he couldn't admit he was a follower of Jesus to a little teenager. Folks, if you can remain focused, you can reach your destiny. Your focus will cause you to live by your faith or the consequences of your doubt. That's why you've got to keep looking to Jesus. So ask yourself this year, what do I see God challenging me to be or do this year? Second, how will I seize this desired goal and make it a reality? And third, what are your hindrances? Pain or past hurt? double-mindedness, inability to handle money, chronic sickness. Those are hurdles you're going to have to press through, and we all have to press through to see that dream come true. 2023 can be the best year of your life thus far, and you'll make it that way with the choices you make. Resilience, endurance, and faith that God will make happen what He promised. He has never failed to do it, and He won't fail you. So don't accept status quo as the final page of your life. Don't do it. Don't let another person, another political party, another race set your boundaries. Only God has the right to limit you. And God says, I can do more than you can think, and I can do more than you can ask. So ask big. Come on, you say, well, I've been Mickey Mouse asking. Well, let's ask big. Let's don't pray now I lay me down to sleep. Let's pray, break the teeth of the wicked, O oh God. Show yourself strong. Rise up. Let your enemies be scattered. Pray big prayers. Pray Clint Eastwood, dirty, hairy prayers, imprecatory psalms. Pray them loud and big. Let the enemy know, hey, you are suited up and you're going to show up and fight. You're tired of being a wussy wimp and laying down and let the enemy walk on you. Those days are over. Enough is enough. Until you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, nothing is going to change. If God made a promise, he will fulfill it. You claim that, pray that every day of your life. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. You can hear more messages by visiting summitsa.com.